Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. That was a very, very cool tour. Aren't you glad I found this? Absolutely. I've walked by old St. Patrick's Church a thousand times. I had no idea they had catacombs underneath. Or that they had a tour of them. And to learn about the different people entombed there was really cool as well. I also loved learning about how a former priest stood up to the local gangs to protect the church from vandalism and destruction without using weapons. But you know what's tougher than a priest? What? A nun. How so? Think about it. They wrote the first feminist play. Mm -hmm. They solved the problem like Maria. Mm -hmm. And take the show we saw the other night. They hid a woman in need of hiding. They fought back against dangerous gangsters. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay. I'm only giving you one of those. Because I'm pretty sure that the first one is the only true thing. But I guess I'd like to think that all three are based on true events. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the divine show, Sister Act. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. Welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Take us to heaven. Take us to paradise. Well, if you want to join us, you've come to the right place. For today, we are talking about the heavenly show, Sister Act. The show brought to the stage the hit movie that starred Whoopi Goldberg, and with it, a reimagining of a classic, hilarious tale. But before we get to the full service, let's preempt it with a little groundwork. Sister Act is a musical based on the hit 1992 film of the same name, with music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Glenn Slater, book by Bill and Sherry Stein Kellner, and additional material by Douglas Carter Bean. After having a regional premiere in 2006 in Pasadena, California, The original West End production opened on June 2, 2009 at the London Palladium, starring Patina Miller and produced by Stage Entertainment and Whoopi Goldberg. And speaking of Whoopi Goldberg, she even appeared as Mother Superior in several shows of the West End production. After closing on October 30, 2011 on the West End, it was time for the show to cross the ocean and come to Broadway. This makes for the perfect time to introduce our design team. The show was directed by Jerry Zaks, music by Alan Minkin, 
Lyrics by Glenn Slater. Book by Sherry and Bill Steinkellner. Choreography by Anthony Von Lost. Set design by Clara Zieglerova. Costume design by Les Brotherston. Lighting design by Natasha Katz. Sound design by John Shivers. Wig and hair design by David Brian Brown. The show arrived at the Broadway Theater on April 20th, 2011, and played for over a year for 561 performances, closing on August 26, 2012. That season, it would receive five Tony nominations. So let's raise our voice and bless our show. Christmas Eve, Dolores Van Cartier is performing for her gangster boyfriend, Curtis Jackson, in the nightclub he owns. Dolores is overjoyed as he be- as she believes her boyfriend is going to introduce her to a record producer on that day, although soon she learns that that is not to be. Jackson tells her he cannot join her for Christmas Day, but gives her a coat which she discovers belonged to his wife. Hurt and frustrated, Dolores sings to her backup singers, Michelle and Tina, about her dreams of stardom and fame. She decides to break up with Jackson to fulfill her dreams on her own, but gets to him just in time to see him and his crew shoot Ernie, who they believe has squilled to them about the or squilled about them to the cops. Horrified, Dolores runs to a police station and tells the desk chief, Eddie, about what happened. Eddie decides that Dolores needs to go into the Witness Protection Program and sends her to the place he believes Jackson will never find her. A convent. When she arrives, Dolores is horrified to learn from Mother Superior that contact with the outside world is limited and that she cannot smoke, drink, or wear any of her own clothing. Dolores, introduced as Sister Mary Clarence, joins the other nuns for dinner and discovers just how much is limited when she is a nun. Dolores asks them about what they are missing, and Mother Superior makes Dolores go on a fast. Back in his nightclub, Jackson is frustrated that he cannot find Dolores anywhere. He tells his crew, Joey, TJ, and Pablo, how he will not stop until he finds and kills Dolores. Dolores, hungry from the fast, leaves the convent and goes to a bar across the street, where Joey, TJ, and Pablo are eating. She is followed by two nuns, Sister Mary Patrick and Sister Mary Robert, who realize what life is like outside the convent. Joey almost recognizes Dolores when he gives her money for the jukebox, but dismisses it. When a drag queen enters in a similar outfit to Dolores's opening costume, Joey, TJ, and Pablo try to stop her and get into a fight, giving Dolores, Sister Mary Patrick, and Sister Mary Robert a chance to escape. At the convent, Eddie confronts Dolores, telling her that she needs to be more careful, and Mother Superior informs her that she is to join the choir the following day. Dolores storms off, and Eddie, now alone with only drunks and homeless on the street, sings of his desire to be cool, to let go, and to impress Dolores. 
The following morning, Dolores attends the choir practice and upon realizing how bad they are, offers to help them. She replaces Sister Mary Lazarus, an older and crankier nun, as their leader and teaches the nuns how to sing in key and in time. That Sunday, the choir perform an up-tempo hymn, which brings in more people and more donations, but leaves Mother Superior disgusted. In Act 2, we start with Mother Superior, who wants to get rid of Dolores, but Monsignor O'Hara tells her that the men who were planning to buy the church love the choir and have given their money to improve and keep the church. Over the coming weeks, the choir has become incredibly successful and the money from donations has paid for the church to be remodeled and fixed. Monsignor O'Hara has some terrific news. The choir has been asked to perform for a special concert in front of the Pope. However, Jackson and his goons spot Dolores with the choir on the television. Jackson orders his boys to get into the convent and bring Dolores to him. TJ, Joey, and Pablo discuss how they will do this. That night, Mother Superior asks God why he has given her the challenge that is Dolores. And shortly after, she receives a call from Eddie. Meanwhile, Dolores is approached by the nuns before they go to sleep, asking her to lead them in praying for their show for the Pope, which is the following day. Mother Superior arrives and tells Dolores that the court date for Jackson has moved up to the next day and she must leave immediately. The other nuns overhear and Dolores is forced to tell them the truth about who she really is and that she cannot perform with them. As Dolores prepares to leave, Sister Mary Robert begs to come with her, claiming that she has been inspired to become a stronger person and go after the things she wants. Dolores, staying at Eddie's house for the night, is initially overjoyed that she will be able to go back to pursuing her career she's dreamed of after testifying against Jackson. However, she realizes that her sisters are more important than any fame or money and decides to return to the convent to sing with them. Meanwhile, Jackson thinks up a new way to get into the convent, giving Joey, TJ, and Pablo nun costumes. Dolores interrupts a choir rehearsal and is told by Mother Superior that she is endangering the lives of the nuns and that she must leave. Sister Mary Robert stands with Dolores but is interrupted by Curtis and his men breaking into the church. The nuns scatter and are able to take down Joey, TJ, and Pablo, but Jackson enters and traps Sister Mary Robert at gunpoint. Dolores begs Jackson to kill her instead, but Mother Superior and all the other nuns stand between them. Jackson is about to start firing at the nuns when Eddie enters and arrests Jackson and his boys. He and Dolores share a kiss. Mother Superior and Dolores come to a truce and accept that Perhaps they're not so different after all, and the entire company performs for the Pope. The, the end. Parts of the show we liked. 
we liked. I mean, I, I don't have much critique for the show. I'll start by saying that I thought this was a really fun story. Definitely. I mean, I would say that Sister Act, the movie, is up there as being a cult classic at this point. Absolutely. And this musical did a great job of being its own thing while still honoring the spirit of the movie. Absolutely. Actually, and I wrote that down. I said this is a great adaptation of a popular film, but it didn't copy and paste everything. Mm -hmm. It created its own world that was still... Yes. You know, Sister Mary Clarence singing in the convent. We, we still had all the best parts of the film, but also, like, reimagined, you know? Um, oh, ra they... Rather than having, like, the doo-wop influence, it was the disco influence, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I also like that they gave Sister Mary Robert more of a story. All we got was that she was just, like, a shy person in the movie, but now we got, like, this whole background thing where she really hadn't had a calling yet, and she was just left there, so she was brought up in the convent, and then all of a sudden to see this autonomy where she's like, maybe I don't want to be a nun, maybe I actually want the world out there because she's the youngest among them. Like, it was nice to see that kind of story be introduced. Um, I also really loved the idea of the three gangsters because instead... Being like the three stooges, Mary well, Moe and... Uh, not Mary Moe, but yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, and basically, you know, they go from being just these guys who are going to, you know, do whatever, um, you know, Curtis tells them to do to these guys who kind of are just maybe not that smart and... So it makes the joke land even harder when they're like, I'm not going to shoot her, she's a nun. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because they're humans, you know? And so I really like the exploration of those characters as well. And, you know, the background story that they gave Eddie. Oh my gosh, yeah, because we didn't see much in the movie about Eddie. And to have that connection between Eddie and Dolores in the, the musical. And there's, there's the love story that exists because... You know, you, there's two things that all good musicals need. A good love... There has to be a love story of some sort. You need that. Uh, and then love stories don't exactly mean, like, a positive thing. You, it can be a love story in the sense of a negative thing, too. Mm -hmm. And we get both in that Dolores and Curtis is a negative, but then positive is, is Eddie. There has to be that conflict. But mm -hmm. as uh, famed choreographer Agnes DeMille says... Goodness, no, you haven't gotten any sex in this show. You know, there's plenty of sex in the show without being sex. And I think you get that, whether it be um, Dolores with her costumes, the way that she moves her body, which, spoiler alert, this is not a hypersexual show. No. But, you know, none to what Dolores is wearing in the beginning. It's like, okay, yeah, that's overly sexy. Or seeing a nun move, seeing Sister Mary Patrick move. In the way that she does. Just like, oh, right. Oh. And also, I think one of my other favorite things about this show is it's just very quirky. Like, the songs get stuck in your head, and they're just fun, quirky songs. Well, I adore. One of the things that I adore. Okay, and, and listeners, again, like, we are doing a lot of comparison right now between the movie and the um, musical. All these nuns that we've referenced so far, Mary Robert, Mary Patrick, I mean, Mary Patrick was played by Kristen Ninimajimi. Kathy Najimi. Thank you. I never say her name right. You didn't even get her first name right nah, this time. We're going to miss. But, you know, and, and they all have these unique personalities, but I'm coming around to Sister Mary Lazarus, who, and I can't think of her name right now, but, um, I mean, she has a story career. Uh, anybody out there who's a big fan of White Christmas, the innkeeper... Um, 
that's the same actress that plays Sister Mary Lazarus. So in the film, she's just like uptight. You know, I like the good old days of a nun where there was no heat and you were barefoot. And those were nuns, you know. Well, in the musical, she's the rapping nun. Mm-hmm. And it kills me. <laughs> because I'm like, the most stuck-up nun is now doing like the freshest beats. Like, this is insane. Well, you know, I think, because we could sit here and just talk about my favorite this, my favorite that. Let's go ahead and just kind of... You know, do it. Let's start in our categories and go category by category. You want to organize things. this? No, organizations of the devil. You know what? Sometimes we try to take logic and make it make sense. <laughs> okay, so where do you want to start? <laughs> Let's go ahead and start talking about the set because okay. it was a very simple set, but there was a lot of fun and play in it. Yeah, so the set was basically, the base of the set was this cathedral kind of thing. And the, the stained cathed- glass and... And, and just kind of like the, the, the um, not the pulpit, but what am I thinking of? You know, in the front of the church. The altar? The altar, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the, excuse me, the base set was. Well, and it was really just a, the, the base set was really the, like, flats and drops that came in that looked like a cathedral. Right. And, and But, I mean, they were always always present there and they would fly different things in to make different settings within the convent exact well in the entire show i mean even when they were um in the police station or in the club or whatnot there were still elements of that stained glass windows or what have you in the background mm-hmm. or somewhere uh, i think the only time i remember and i can be wrong it's okay to be wrong i'm just going to tell you that right now i think the only time i remember um like not having that stuff there was when we started the show and Dolores is singing Fabulous Baby and it's just these lights that they flew in that are right behind the singers. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I remember really not seeing the church. And actually, I, now that I'm replaying the musical in my mind, I don't think we actually saw the whole church background until Eddie puts her in the convent. Yeah, it's you, kind of back and dark in the back, and there's just these symbol sets that are really downstage that you see. Yes, and then because also we don't review. see the church when we're in Eddie's apartment. The his apartment is downstage. I remember because she has that fabulous baby reprise because we have the nuns in the background practicing in the church. So mm-hmm. well, because they were able to create two stories. Um, because there were the the doors that were upstairs. Yes, yes, And then yes. the doors that were downstairs. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was, it was clever in that you could separate those two worlds and two lives of Dolores, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the stained glass panels were brilliant. I love the, uh, what's that special word for the circle stained glass? There is a special word for it. It's called a rose window. That's what it is. Um, the rose window was like there, I believe, on Sundays when they did the Sunday, the, the, you know, the Sunday services, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was just fun. So you know, I I thought overall the set, though being simple, especially for the theater they were in, it was a huge theater, effective. Mm-hmm. It did what it needed to do. Um, I think one of my more favorite parts would be the costumes because you have a whole costume design that needs to be centered around a nun's habit. Yes. Which there's, you kind of, there's like a couple of variations of a nun habit, but they're all basically the same. It's a nun's habit, they're covered. 
Yeah. What I this again is another area I thought was just wonderful and I like the different versions of the habits though. Yes. So we had the basic nun habit. Hooray, hooray. But They're then we had, like real world nun yeah. habits. And then we had these glitz nun habits for the finale. And what I loved about it was uh, Dolores's was all decked out with gold and everything. But everybody else's, it was the same habit. But instead of like basic fabric, it was... Sequin. Yeah, it was sequin. The color was the same. So I was just like... How like a nun, though? It's like, you can get dressed up and all spangled out. And they're like, absolutely. And I feel like that's what a nun would think. It's like, I'm going to wear the same outfit, just in sequence. <laughs> like, no change, you know? Um, so I thought that was great. The fact that it was basically based in the 70s, so we had these 70s costumes look great. And we mainly got to see those. I mean, I wouldn't say in the, the female performers' outfits, I don't remember them looking particularly 1970s, but I do remember in, in uh, TJ and Pablo, Pablo and... Uh, oh my God, it's not Justin. <laughs> and Justin. <laughs> Joey. Joey. TJ, Joey, and Pablo's costume. They <laughs> definitely had that 70s with the, you know, looking suit with the boot flaring pant. The boot flaring. The flared bottom... Bell bottom? Thank you. <laughs> the flare at the bottom, the bell bottom pant. You know what I'm saying, with the platform shoes. And they had the collar, you know, not pop, but like it came around the jacket and everything. They all, uh, Pablo and, and, no, hold on. Joey, nope, TJ. TJ had the fro. Mm-hmm. That's right, TJ had the fro. Pablo had that span, that, not that Spanish, but that Latin kind of like hair pushback. And then uh, Joey just had, like, that Italian, like, almost mullet kind of look, you know. They all had the slick, like, well, I guess not TJ, because TJ the fro, but, you know, they had the slick back hair kind of thing. Um, and then I think Curtis also had a fro, if I remember right. I don't remember, but I would believe it. I know Eddie didn't, if I remember right. His was definitely the most realistic, natural-looking hair of any of the guys, but I don't... Well, I mean, right for now. for the time period, I think they all look natural. You know, given that it was yes, the 70s. Yes, but his was more like, I just, it wasn't completely decked out in 70s. It was just a lot of hint of 70s, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. And so, I mean, <clears throat> to me, I, I, I really appreciated that we had this mobster mentality, but it was in the 1970s, so it was hard to take them entirely seriously when you've got you know, dudes in disco outfits of paisley, tangerine, and apricot. <laughs> yes, you know, 100%. You're like, I'm expecting you to be in these black suits, and it's like, hey, lady, I'm in an apricot suit. You know? Um, exactly. And and I think, um, the uh, I mean, what hair we did see, I think, honestly, the hair for the men were the biggest, was the one that note the bit most, because, you know, we did see Dolores' hair, Kind of the beginning at the end. Yes, because she has that Diana Diana Ross look. Yes, to the her. big poofy, exactly yes. the big poofy, nineteen seventies hair. But I mean, it's covered up most of the show. Um, I will say, I I always wondered why she didn't put a habit back on for the end. And I mean, I and then I reminded myself, oh well, Whoopi Goldberg doesn't put a habit back on for the end of the movie. But I would imagine that it's probably. Too much of a quick change. Well, and I think this uh, this I the, I think the idea really comes from she's going to blend the two worlds. That's fair. Because the nun's habit 
um, you know, putting on the veil. Um, the reason why, like, you have Sister Mary Robert who, Robert, who hasn't gotten her call yet, she's not in a full habit, and she's still showing parts of her hair because she hasn't taken the vow. Ah. And the veil comes with the vow. And so Dolores hasn't made the vow, but she has made the pledge to her sisters. So that's why she wears the, the habit, but she doesn't wear the veil. That makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, because it's all steeped in Catholicism, um, which also leads me to another point I wanted to make. Um, they use a lot of, like, um, like, like tunic-type overlays on top of their um, singing gowns to kind of help change up the day and show, like, time, um, because the regular nun's habits are very simple. Um, so that adds some change to it. So that exactly. So it was kind of like, oh, they're singing in a show, um, but they were still very Catholic based. Like they had hearts where they were, you know, resembling the Mother Mary, and um, other times it would be like wings and praying hands and other stuff. But one and a couple of times they were crosses. But what I really appreciated was their attention to detail, um, because. I was doing a show once, and there were nun habits, and the costume designer had the nuns put the rosary around their necks. Oh, it doesn't go there. Exactly. and But when someone brought that up, they're like, actually, I'm Catholic, and you don't put the rosary around your neck. It's a sign of disrespect. They were like, oh. And so ever since then, I've always paid attention to nun costumes. and Rosary goes around your belt or right there on your head. Yes, yeah, so that you have access to pray. Yeah, you um, use them to pray. And I'm it, not Catholic, but... But <laughs> just the fact of, you know, seeing the attention to detail that they put into it, because they also have the rope around their waists as well, which is also some symbolic of other things. So just seeing the detail that went into it so that they wouldn't offend the Catholic community as well, um, I appreciated that attention. Yeah, I didn't even realize all of that, but... I mean, a lot, of, when you're dealing with something like a religion, there probably is a lot, you, you know, we can have fun with it, but we have, there is a line. Yes, we need to be respectful. Yes. Um, kind of shifting back to our organization, let's go into the lights. Because um, I thought the lighting was really good on the show. Yes, it was very upbeat, um, comedic lighting. Yes. Um, uh Oh, no, you go ahead. Let's oh, just talk would... at the same time. It'll be a lot easier for the listener to oh, hear. 100%. Ready? And go. Stained glass. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> not what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> well, so I glass. was going to say... Oh. <laughs> I was going to say I love that the lighting resembled stained glass, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's not like no, they were no, no, projecting I... stained glass, but it had that feeling That's what I even was trying glass. to write down because I was like, I remember lots of blues and purples in that, and that's kind of what you get out of stained glass a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, no, we are on the same wavelength where, and I mean, don't think that like the show was lit like it was through stained glass, but that, you know, you, you had your white lights that were lighting your characters, but there's like a, another pool of light that spills over on the stage. Yeah, it's to like whatever. a wash. Yeah, it and was it like... was that stained glass, and it helped mm -hmm. emphasize those set pieces. Now, I am, I'm on the mm -hmm. same page Well, and it you. also helped us when we had scenes like uh, Eddie's song, I Could Be That Guy, um, where it takes us into this fantasy world. Yes. Um, it did a really good job of helping to up that and make us feel that okay this is a fantasy not real yes um i loved that the lighting can change between that 
stained glass look of those those colors of blues and purples and that, but then it can be that harsh white lighting to show us the police station or even Eddie's apartment. Mm-hmm. We saw definitely the, the again the two worlds: Dolores Van Cartier and Sister Mary Clarence. Definitely, the other scene that sticks out in my brain is when um, Mother Superior is singing her. Uh, song to God. Uh, Here within these walls. Uh-huh. Yep. And just how, like, stoic and empty and hollow the lighting helped to make that scene. It, because it was her app, like, her, it was her ha- going through a crisis of faith. It, there's that light that's from above and from front, that spot. Um, but that felt like there was a light coming from behind almost, too. Mm-hmm. And I agree, like, and, but. You couldn't find the source of the light, it felt like. It, it didn't flood the stage. No, it, and I don't think it was intended to. Which is why it, it felt hollow and like she's all alone and she's speaking to the ethos, or in her case, speaking to God mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and of course, it also helped make everything feel like a concert where it needed to be. One other thing I want to mention is when they do the church scenes... Um, Take Me to Heaven or the Sunday Morning Boogie, of course, or the finale. It was golden. Mm-hmm. It, it was this golden... F- and, and they didn't have as much funky lighting feel to it, obviously, because it's a little church, but it was this more golden, warm feel. Well, because you also have, at the time, the set behind it is slowly becoming more put together. Because the church is getting re- exactly. rehabilitated. Yeah, but I just remember the Monsignor standing out in his green... Uh, green and gold get up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know why, but maybe it was just like his costume was enough to balance out that gold. But there we were, you know. I love it. Um, also, let's uh, go ahead, since we we're kind of already diving into it, let's talk about direction. Which direction do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> These are the jokes. Try the salmon and tip your way <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, okay, so... Direction. Direction. I think Jerry Zachs did an excellent job of helping the characters find the realism to their to their like character while still having all that play and fun. Yes, 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 yes. It didn't feel super like they were super embedded in the script. It felt live and real and and responsive. It was call and response. It wasn't. Yeah, well, and they, you could tell that they really just got to have fun. With the characters. Yeah. And, and, and in an unknown director like Jerry Zetton, I'm totally kidding. Um, you know, I, I think the more I think about Jerry Zach's shows, the more I feel like that's a trademark of his. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, follow the script because it's the words that are for an important meaning. But I feel like I've never been in the room with the guy to see his process. But I feel like he might be one of those directors that's like learn the script, but then don't act. Like, I feel like that's kind of the direction that he likes to go. Which is great because it's it, it's very natural well, and, and delivers it, what we uh, delivers a more relatable story, I guess. Yes, and especially when you're working with a musical comedy, um, being able to give your actors room to be able to find new bits of comedy in the material and in the play of it is just great. Yeah, and I love that he managed. To bring in just enough difference between the movie and the musical that we could see a show, we could get, we saw a show that we could get familiar with. We were already familiar with the story and everything, but we could still see something new that kept us coming back for more. 
So we didn't just go see something that we already knew, you know, and, and it was like, okay, I know all the punchlines and everything like that. We knew where the story was going to go and how it's going to end. You know, we knew the ending before we went in. Mm-hmm. But there were still new twists and turns along the way, fun numbers that were like, oh, okay, yeah, actually, I want to come back. I want to come here, Miss Sister Mary Lazarus. Rap. And to make all of those seem like new discoveries, but also feel reminiscent at the same time. Like, these have always actually been there in the movie. You just missed it. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, you know, is I think is brilliant. For a director to make something new that still feels familiar, that has, a, I mean, that's awesome. To Definitely. Me. And I guess to speak of something new that's familiar, then that would lead us to music. And who doesn't love funky and disco-y music? I know I love funky and disco-y music. Oh, yes. I'm sorry, disco-esque music. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, I will say that's one thing I admire about Alan Menken's work. Um, he, he just has, like, a fun... Fun jauntiness to his music. Is it fun? You know what? Stop you. Um, he just has that fun jauntiness in all of his scores. You know what I mean? Like there's play and there's um, there's I don't know. It just has this movement. And so like I think to the the album and I'm like, which one is my favorite song? And it constantly changes. There's so many, as Jerry Herman says. Simple, humble show tunes from this show. You know, there there really are just songs that make you bounce and, and, and move in your seat, but there's also songs that just stick in your head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the Life I Never Live or Led, I mean. One song that I wish carried from the West End production to the Broadway production, but they, they cut it and they changed it up, was How I Got the Calling. So How I Got the Calling was in the West End production, which is where they got the cast album from, but it wasn't in the Broadway production. They changed the song to It's Good to Be a Nun. I can't even remember how It's Good to Be a Nun I know! All I can hear is How I Got the Calling. Yep, and and I remember, like, that's one of my favorites because you get to know all the different nuns with their personalities and... One of my favorite lines is, I had a revelation when I skipped my medication, you know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. The it, habit just did wonders for oh my, my hair. Um, it's it's fantastic. It, it, it really, and so I was bummed when that was cut. But, yeah, so you've got those songs, and then, like we said, you've got these humble ones, these funky ones, Take Me to Heaven, Raise Your Voice. Spread the Love. Spread the Love, Sunday Morning Fever. You know, I like that sometimes it mocks real songs mm-hmm. you know i said a hip hop a hip to the hop with a ding dong diggity dee i'm a celibate sister yes you know uh, it's... yeah i mean i i yeah literally i just keep going back to all of my favorites like hey lady in the long back dress <laughs> i felt like all the songs sung to like the people who sung in it it encapsulated their personalities yes and that is a trait that i love of alan Minkin. yes like the the music itself it just if you have this happy, bouncy person, they tend to sing happy, bouncy songs, you know. They're, you're not going to have Curtis, who's that evil guy. He's not going to sit there and be like, I'm going to go and kill the la la la, you know. it's mm-hmm. No, it's going to be this a little bit smoother and, and darker, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I the music was a huge win for me, and I... I, I still like it to this day, obviously. Oh, I could listen to the, the album constantly. Yep, I agree. 
The show has had several notable performers, including Patina Miller, Victoria Clark, Whoopi Goldberg, Raven Simone, and Carolee Carmelo. talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. So let's start with theatrical impact. Um, I think this would be uh, one of the impacts is it's another popular film that was brought to the stage, which I know that gets sometimes a lot of negative review where it's like another, oh, they're just turning another movie into a, a musical or whatever. But I guess Look, Sister Act was a huge. It's a hugely popular. I mean, like you said, kind of like a cult classic film, and I think they they brought it to the stage successfully. I think the musical is a good transfer. Well, and the fact that you had Sister Act and Priscilla playing at the same time was excellent because you had this whole group of people who would either see one or the other or the overlap of the two. So you were able to bring in more people coming in to see Broadway shows. Well, if we're, if we're going off of that, too, then this was the summer of God, because at the same time was the hit musical, The Book of Mormon. That's they, right. The Sister Act and Book of Mormon were, were two rival Tony contenders this season, so, I mean, it was kind of like nicknamed the season of God because of that, you know, religion was like the dominant... <laughs> thing on Broadway that year. So, I mean, if you couldn't go get converted to Mormonism, well, come on down. Catholicism's got you. And if you're not a God person, that's all right. Priscilla will make you feel the church of Hey Girl. You know, like... Yeah. There was literally... This season, there was something for everyone. Yes. In the best way possible, though. 2011 was definitely a lot of... Good theater. A lot of really good theater. I think this was... Yeah, 2011, 2012. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. But yeah, so I thought it brought it successfully brought a film to the stage because there's been some film adaptations to the stage that's like, ooh, mm-hmm. no, that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I think it also gave um, some good character songs to people's books. Yes, yeah, because I mean that was in another point that I wanted to make was that it gave great music and added great music to the musical theater catalog. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I it's hard for me to feel like this show broke ground. Somewhere in the theater, but the music itself, exactly, it gave songs to people, gave great character to people, but it just, the number of uh, hits, if you will, I mean, if, if we had a Broadway top 100, which maybe that will be our next endeavor, we'll start a, a, a satellite radio station of Broadway, I mean, I know there's a Broadway channel, but you know, so we can have a billboard, a broadboard top 100, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, know, the man. number of hits that came out of this show was was wonderful. Um, and I also think that the last thing that at least I'll say for theatrical impact is this be, they created a great show that's accessible by all theaters, not just Broadway level, but regional, collegiate, high school, community. Everyone not only can access this because, you know, because of material, the music, but the costumes, the set, everything is so, it can be so simple or it can be so grand, you know, whatever your mm-hmm. vision or budget is. But the audiences will also connect with that familiar story and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, and the music and the the music and the story 
can stand well enough without the support if you are in a place where that you don't have good costume set support. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, the one thing I'll say is that that hinders possibly the ability to put a show on leads me to the societal impact of the show. And I think um, this was another show, the societal impact is that it's another show led by people of color. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one thing that I feel like theaters are, are I, dare I say, limited to, because I hate saying it's a limit, but you know they're bound to, is that if you're going to do the show, there are roles that have to be played by people of color. Mm-hmm. Dolores has to be a person of color. Now, I'm, I haven't seen the, the script mm-hmm. to know that if it says that, but... It does. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I was going to bring that up because there was an instance with a... Um, community theater that I'm not going to name. Right. Um, that I had heard about where they had cast Dolores as um, a white person, and um, there they were receiving some backlash, and they were like, "Oh, but you know, it doesn't say that she does need to be um, a person of color or black specifically, but actually, it is referenced in the script Beautiful. that she, um, you know, when Dolores is talking about how she wants to be this, you know." rise above her station it's because she wants to show that she's a strong independent black woman yes i agree and i mean i think there's other characters as well that need to be played by people of color like and it, tj um would need to be played by someone of color what about eddie eddie i feel like is another one right well not necessarily okay. so if you, i think the main purpose about this show is Dolores needs to be a woman of color, specifically okay. a black uh, yes. woman of color, yes. or someone um, in that realm. Okay. Just because of the f- phrases that she says and the uh, background given in the script is supported by that. But right. the most important part about a, a show like Sister Act is it needs to be diverse. Yes. And we don't necessarily have to say how it's going to needs to be diverse because I don't think that the character descriptions for anyone else are laid out as plainly as that. Um, that would be something I'd have to check in the script. Pablo, I think, does, because he speaks Spanish. He's, he speaks Spanish through the entire show. He sings all his verses in the, yeah, the show. So, so he has to be of some Latinx descent because he... He's obviously you know, right. some Spanish trait. Right. And so, but and go, uh, but I think. also the, does the same thing. Does the way, he? The, his speech patterns and that, his lines. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's, I don't, I'm not as familiar with the script on, on the other characters, but I think that, you know, this kind of going into, um, we're going a little into our societal impact and our relevancy is that the um, show at its core. Um, has a lot of accessibility for a lot of people. And I think that it's a great script to help community theaters be more inclusive. Yes! Because, oh my gosh, it, need, it, because it requires diversity. Like, the the script, just the way it's it's written... It and lends itself to... It d- demands to be... Yes. To... To, to have diversity. Yes, yes. And so I think it's a great tool because who cares what a nun looks like underneath her habit? You have female presenting characters under the habit that could be played by any sort of gender. Right. Um, you know, as long as the point of it is to talk about the character 
and not the gimmick. And this show is about the character, not the gimmick. So it lends itself to being diverse. And I think it's a great tool for smaller communities to diversify their casts. I love that. And I mean, with that, that's been one of the biggest things is I feel like Broadway and even off Broadway here in New York has been very much diverse and much more inclusive and done a lot better job. I think there's more work to be done. But I think when it comes to diversifying our stages and that, it extends much more outside of the Broadway or New York City area and it's across the country. And I think you just literally made a huge and important point, which is that this show lends itself to allow community theaters and collegiate theaters and regional theaters to become more diversified. And I think, yes, that is... That is the the million dollar golden ticket point. Well done. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Just to, to polish off that last question of is the show relevant in regards to here on Broadway. I think it is. I do think the show has a place on Broadway. At the heart of the show, there's a message about being honest with yourself and being true to you and those around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I love that message. And um, along with that is the fact that the show is just a really good time and it's fun and it might just be what we need as we continue to move out of the pandemic so i think there is a there's a place for it so i wouldn't be surprised if there maybe could be a revival in the next couple years you never know take another swing another interpretation of everything there's there's fabulous stuff the show is is a fabulous show and i mean I'm sure if you if you tweak things here and there, it could be even more fabulous. But it was great. There's just so much great material there. Well, and I there. think that the nice thing is, is it's not. It's a show that can exist in any space. Yeah. It doesn't. It could be great on Broadway again as a revival. Could it be great could, off Broadway. Could be great. It, like I could see this going to New World stages. Oh, absolutely. Because it does a good job of bringing in audiences of all kinds. It could be great as an immersive theater piece. Mm-hmm. You know it. I, I, I do wonder if the Broadway theater was a little bit of a big theater for the show. It might have been too big of a venue just because the show does, like, the Broadway theater doesn't lend itself to that Intimacy. intimate, yeah. like, fun, boppy feeling. I think you're just too far away. The Broadway Personally, theater is such an interesting theater because I have seen shows that I'm like, this is amazing. And I've seen other shows that I'm like, I don't know how to feel about that. You know, it's such a weird... It's an interesting space. I can't space. put my finger on it. Yeah. But yeah. It, it is a beautiful theater. I mean, I love the Broadway theater. Um, but yeah. But I can't imagine, I mean, or I could see that if the show played someplace um, that was... A, that like landed, the Broadhurst. Yeah, somewhere where the audiences were closer to each other. Yeah. Because this, this show is about coming together. It's about community. And so if you're physically distant from that part of the community, it makes it harder for that message to cross. I agree. I agree. we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So we had the good fortune of getting to see the show twice. Once back in 2011 and then again in 2012. So, we've been talking this whole time about the show. I think it's safe to say we enjoyed the show. Very much It was a good time both times. So, you know, enjoyed it so much, 
We saw it twice. Saw it, twice. it was so nice. We saw it There's twice. the phrase I was looking for. <laughs> um, we did get to meet Patina Miller, mm-hmm. who would go on to win a Tony Award later. Not for the show, but another one. Um, we got to meet the legendary Victoria Clark, who was wonderful. Raven Simone on the second go. Mm-hmm. All wonderfully nice people. We got to meet other cast members. Um, I can't put my finger on the name of the actress who played Sister Mary Lazarus, but she was a hoot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my especially... favorite was when the nuns would come out from the stage door as their as themselves, and they're like, "You don't know which nun I was, do you?" Yeah, no, no. That, that's <laughs> the thing is they would all like purposely come out together and try to confuse you. But one thing that <laughs> sticks in my mind was the second time we saw it was the the day we saw it was the day they posted their closing notice. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, I feel bad for this cast. Like, oh, you're about to, you know, you're going to close in six weeks. And that's a bummer. Um, and the the actress who played Mary Lazarus came out and just had the darkest sense of humor about everything in the best way. You know, she was just riding it and like, yeah, I know we're closing, but here it is. And like the picture I have with her, she's just like making a quirky face with me. And I was like, yes, this woman is amazing and hilarious. And I would like to just grab a beer with her. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. so the other memory I have that is linked to the show, well, that we have, um, and this is a fun memory and it could have gone worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, But back in 2012... Um, we were staying at the Sheridan Hotel on 7th Avenue and... 50- Broadway. Or 53rd. Excuse me. 7th and 53rd. Uh-huh. 7th and Broadway. You don't know what they do. But anyway. Um, we <laughs> are... Uh, uh, my parents' house had been taken and blah, blah, blah back in Utah. So they settled and they had all this extra money. So they took us out to New York with them on this trip. So there's you and I and my parents. Shout out mom and dad. So we're all out there for a few weeks doing the New York thing, seeing theater as well with my mom. Um, and the president was going to be in town, which is cool. And if you've ever had the president in your town, you kind of know what comes with it. Like things, the streets will shut down and everything. I know like in Salt Lake, they park dump trucks full of sand around this hotel. I should say their hotel because there's a woman president coming soon. Um, and you know, it's a lot. Well, this particular president, President Obama was going to drive from, I I think he was arriving at the helipads on the east side and then driving down 53rd because he was delivering a speech at our hotel to like a conference. It was about LGBTQ, uh, uh, inclusivity. Because it was pride. Uh Uh-huh. And then... He was going on to see Sister Act that night because Whoopi Goldberg was holding a fundraiser for him. Yes. Well, unbeknownst to us, I mean, all we were doing is lining up along the barricades to just wave at the president because it's Obama and Mm -hmm. it was cool. But we didn't know that basically... He was going to be at our hotel, and that meant we were going to be locked out. So, yeah, the hotel (laughs) failed to tell its patrons that, like, once the president arrived, either you're in your room... Or you're outside the hotel, but you won't be allowed here nor there. And they didn't have a timeline of like when the president was going to leave from the conference and then go to a show. And our show that we were seeing that night, Jersey Boys, which is around the corner from Sister Act, was at 7. His show was at 8. Mm-hmm. So it was like, our tickets are in the room. So hearing that little piece of advice from one of the cab callers... I was like, I'm running to the room right now to go get the tickets, and then we'll go wave at President Obama. <laughs> you know, 
Um, but it was cool. We waved. He waved back, and Michelle was with them. Mm-hmm. Coolest. I mean, she's such a cool first lady. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and yeah. then to know that like we had seen a performance a couple days before he went and saw a show that you know yeah. saw Sister Act. Well, so. how cool is it that you know? And this wasn't the first show that he'd gone to. No. And it wasn't the last. I love the fact that that we had a president that supported the Broadway Theater and the Arts. Um, and I'm sure when things settle down, I can I think President Biden and and First Lady Dr. Biden, um, as well as the Vice President Kamala Harris and her husband, the second gentleman, will probably go to Broadway theaters. I totally see it. I totally see Uncle Joe like being into what's playing, you know. What what show would you like to see, Mr. President? Do you want to go see Harry Potter? Do you want to go see Hamilton? I want to go see that music, man. <laughs> You know, and, and just see President Biden do the trouble right in River City with Hugh Jackman. Like, here we go. That's <laughs> oh my God. goals in life. So, but no, it, it was a cool experience to have. As we continue to take our seats in the theater, we invite you to join us in returning to them as well. You'll be able to catch Sister Act, I'm sure, at a theater near you sometime in the future. Before we go, we want to make you aware of our next monthly feature. So April is Arab American Heritage Month and National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We will be recognizing both of these every Wednesday and Friday on our social media starting April 1st. On Wednesdays, we'll be honoring Arab American Heritage Month by showcasing a groundbreaking Arab American theater artist who continues to pave the way for generations of Arab American uh, creators to come. And on Fridays, we will recognize works of the theater that have talked about and dealt with the issue of sexual assault, as well as share resources in helping those who have become victims of this tragedy. So be sure to stay tuned for all the exciting bonus content coming your way next month. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and please continue to keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One thing the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Frederick Larden featuring Laura Palmei, Evan Schaefer, Jazzar, and Billy Murray. <laughs>